Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. And first off, a happy Mother's Day to everybody out there who is a mother, does motherly-like duties, knows a mother, all of that stuff. Has a mother. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Collectively, I thank you for every one of those people that you just Excellent. said happy Mother's Day to. Even though that, you know, by the time most people hear this, it's probably not going to be Mother's Day. We'll but it won't be quite Father's Day, so. True. You know, this is actually a bonus show. Bonus! Yeah, see, um, we weren't originally going to be recording this week. Um, Trisha was going to be out of town doing one of her sabbatical holiday psychological it breaks. Was it Escape Mother's from Day? from me and the boy event weekends. It's a Mother's Day holiday. Admit it, you just didn't want to be around the smelly dog. Well, if you don't get on <laughs> washing that dog, it's going to be a problem. So originally Patricia was supposed to be doing that, but other plans happened to have gotten in the way. So Work. instead, we went to a baseball game yesterday and we're doing a show today. So today's Bloke and the Bird show will be all about baseball, correct? Not in the slightest. Oh. Okay. But the first thing we should mention is uh, a little IndyCar. Little IndyCar. Not good IndyCar either. Well, but little. But little IndyCar. Um, you know, we can't talk too much about it because we really haven't watched the last couple of races. <laughs> so, yeah. Bad so, new IndyCar fans. So, so much for our IndyCar fandom here. But there is one notable piece of news. You know, this year was supposed to be the inaugural Grand Prix of Boston over Labor Day weekend. It's not happening. It's not. It's not happening. This was this was a one race deal um, with the ability to extend for four additional years if everything went well. However, instead of actually having a race, it seems there's just a lot of finger pointing and a lot of people going, "It's your fault." Mm. So, um, according to John Casey, who is the president of the former Grand Prix of Boston group, uh, what he told the Boston Globe was that the relationship between us and the city is not working. The relationship is untenable. I'm writing a book about this whole process. It's so ridiculous, it's hysterical. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Now, Casey claims that city officials had endless unrealistic demands, with the most recent one being that um, there was a revised flood zone designated on some new Federal Emergency Management Agency maps of the area. Now, because of this new flood zone requirement, that would have required promoters to get a wetlands permit to complete some of the race-related construction. Now, this designation only happened within like the last three weeks. So it wasn't wet four weeks ago. Something like that. Now, on the other hand, city officials have characterized the race promoters as disorganized and unwilling to put the work in to make the Boston Grand Prix happen. According to the Boston Globe, Patrick Brophy, chief of operations for Boston, said in a statement that race organizers were, quote, unwilling or unable to meet the necessary requirements to hold an event of this size. In a Globe interview, Brophy said the city insisted on protections for the taxpayers in the neighborhood. They didn't want to do it, and we're okay with that, he said. I'm sure there will be plenty of good things to do in Boston over Labor Day weekend. Boom! Mic drop. Yeah. 
Now, tech company logged me in. Uh, their offices were located along the race route, and they had signed on to be a major sponsor of the race. CEO Bill Wagner told The Globe that the race had already gained a broader appeal than he expected and that all of its permitting woes and eventual cancellation doesn't bode well for attracting other events to Boston. It's going to send a signal to other people trying to bring events to Boston. If anyone else brings an event to Boston, I'm sure they're going to call IndyCar and ask what their experience was. I would hate to hear what that call was like. I would love it. Could I call them yeah. and ask? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there will not be a Boston race. One fewer race on the calendar. Well, not necessarily. Supposedly, IndyCar says that they are looking at other alternatives for the weekend in New England. Hmm. So maybe something will happen. I don't know. It's in, Unless there is a track that is in the region that can handle IndyCar, I don't know. I don't know what tracks are available in the area. But you'd have to think that there'd have to be a track in a region that needed minimal, if any, construction and, and was free for that week. I mean, maybe Lime Rock, but I don't know if Lime Rock over in Connecticut would, would be able to take them. Lime Rock has its own issues with its neighbors. Hmm. Well, more to come? So, from New England to Russia. With love? I don't know. You know, they, it gets hot and cold with them. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I don't know. But what we do know is that Kevin Magnuson was voted Driver of the Day. For the Russian Grand Prix. Go Team Banana. Yeah, who, you know, scored the team's first points of the season with a seventh place posting. Very good job, Kevin. Now, also coming out of that, Jensen Button, um, as part of his view and opinion of last week's fun events that happened at Turn 2, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to replay the audio. Everybody is replaying the audio. By now, if you haven't heard it, um, I don't know what to tell you. Because it's been everywhere. Six times he said the F word. Six. I was just going to go with six times he got bleeped. Okay. Because Phil was concerned that we might have to lose our... our warning because of that but the, the reality was he was bleeped none of his words came out so you had to connect your dots so we should be good we, we were able to keep our, keep our clean tag very good i'm glad to hear that we kept our clean tag however <clears throat> it was six times that he <laughs> he had comments which was just about the number of times he got hit from behind by the same car. All right, it wasn't quite that bad, but yeah. <laughs> but um, Jensen Button was a little upset over how things went down. Not for the carnage that happened on track. No, that's cool. <laughs> well, that that's its own issue. But his problem wasn't, and, and he's not calling for changes to turn two over that. His issue was, as you recall it, qualifying the day before, Lewis got himself into a bit of trouble at turn two because he ran off the track and did not go around the FIA-installed bollard mm -hmm. to negate any advantage that you might gain from going straight through at that corner. Well, on Sunday, when all that carnage happened, several drivers decided not to even take the turn to completely jump out of it and go around the bollard. Including Mr. Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. Jensen, however, did not. 
Well, all of the folks who went and jumped off and went around the bollard because they avoided all of the crap that was happening on the track gained an advantage from all the folks who stayed on the track, (laughs) which annoyed Jensen. As much as I see Jensen's point, I don't agree with him here. I don't either. I think that if you have the opportunity to avoid carnage, you should take it. And probably my thought would be, yes, people that avoided the carnage and went around the bollard got an advantage. They got an advantage because there was carnage on the track. Yeah. They would not have had that advantage had there not been an accident with downstream effects. Well, you know, I also view it as there was really nothing that prevented, and and we've seen it happen before, when there is major issues that happen on the track and drivers need to avoid that, they are allowed to go off into the runoff areas. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened here. The only difference is that the bollard pushed them further into the runoff area than normally they would have had to have taken at most other tracks. Right. And that's the whole point of the runoff area in the first place. Is to avoid collisions. Yeah. So... And to not disable the car if you mishandle a turn. I mean, that's the other piece. In classic (coughs) old-timey Formula One. Old-timey? Old-timey. Back when everybody moved faster and, you know, they had funny music behind all of the different stuff. Like, sort of like Little Rascals. Well, no. When the entire uh, outfit of safety equipment in a Formula One car consisted of goggles, a leather polo helmet, and a handlebar mustache. Yes. Yes. The ye oldie days. Ye oldie days. Um, They didn't have the runoffs, or they would put gravel pits right next to the track. Bales of hay. Bales of hay. That would catch fire. Personal favorite was the bales of hay. But you would hit that, and you'd you'd swamp the car. You'd Mm -hmm. tear up the underside of it. You couldn't go forward. The runoff area actually allows people to continue forward. So we were able to have people actually, oh, finish the race. Yeah. Just a thought. So changes that may be coming to Russia. Depends on who you talk to. According to Russian Grand Prix executive Sergei Voryobiev, he believes that um, the event, the Russian Grand Prix, will become a a night race at some stage before 2020. Really? Now, the track has a deal through 2020, but uh, he believes that at some stage it will become a night race. However, um, they are waiting for final confirmation from the government because it's obviously a necessary capital investment as well as additional operating costs. The operating cost is down to the track operators. Um, they have to sell enough tickets to cover those costs no matter if it's an, a night race or a day race. At this moment, he says, we are not fully ready to cover a night race operating costs. Take that for what it possibly says about their overall ticket sales. Well, there's that piece, but I just have a general question to throw out there to Mm -hmm. anybody who wants to answer. Why does everybody seem to think that they want a night race? It's a visual thing. I'm sure. I, I get that it can be very pretty and all of that kind of stuff, but I don't get the real big desire for a night race because keep in mind, races are held on Sundays. Mm-hmm. The work weeks start on Mondays. You actually could run the risk of having fewer draw 
because a night race after dark would put people getting home. I mean, you figure you got to wait till dark to start or twilight like um you know, I'm not sure that would matter so much in Russia. And and that's the the venue is also a key piece of it. I mean, let's face it. There there are some very practical reasons for Singapore to do a night race. Well, it is yeah. extremely hot, it is sticky, it is muggy. But doing it at night, it's at least a touch cooler, and it gives a good visual piece to it. And when it, they're so far away that it also keeps the drivers on a more normal schedule. Yeah, it, it, they end up essentially running at normal hours in Europe. Mm-hmm. Normal watching hours, I should say. Bahrain also, very similar. It moves the race up into a time when folks are awake over in Europe. But the other thing, and it's something that folks had pointed out, was during the day in Bahrain, since that track is in the middle of the desert and there is nothing else around it, it was brown desert and a gray track. Mm -hmm. But turn around and do it at night and colors start to pop you don't necessarily see the brown desert anymore there's some good color that comes from the way they have painted the runoff areas and the cars stand out and the track stands out and visually it makes it more appealing and again bahrain doesn't care about its citizens so there's that too they don't care about whether or not folks are gonna <laughs> have to miss their, their the next day at work they're, they're, they're just gonna lock them up it doesn't matter so <laughs> and most of Probably All also political comments. Please most, go. Of, <laughs> most of the folks who are going to that race aren't locals anyway. Right. Well, so there's the that thing, too. They're not, they're not appealing yeah. to their locals, nor do they need the population to support the race. When you look at something like Russia and looking at their attendance, they need local population to help support the race. And think about it. If you, especially in some place like Russia or some of these other places where it would be possible for you to go to the race and then after the race plan on taking a flight, a late flight home or a, or but whatnot. You, you've also got to remember the reason that Bahrain, Russia, and now Azerbaijan are hosting a race and want to host a race and why they would want this to become a night race. It has absolutely nothing to do with the spectators or anything else they're using the race as a statement they're using it as a a way to add apparent prestige to their nation and their region so night and the visuals that that creates feeds what they're looking for and what they want to get out of the race much like china it doesn't matter if the stands are full it's that they have a race. Well, there's a point there. <clears throat> there's a point. I figured that Russia was a lot more about making sure that some of the facilities in Sochi get used. Because otherwise, we know that former Olympic parks tend to go unused. Yes and no. Um, again, this is all part of Putin's strategy to make Russia and Sochi in particular a centerpiece and a showpiece for athletics and sport in general. Okay. Which is why they spent all the money on those facilities. Those facilities are still there and intact. My understanding is, unlike, say, China or Vancouver, they have not done a lot of repurposing of those facilities and are trying to bring more sports and more events in there, like Grand Prix races. Okay. So... 
However, Bernie ha- has added his own opinion here. Um, he says that you know he's he's not certain about a night race actually happening there, and he says it's not cheap to put in. When it was built, that was the time to lay all of the cables. All they would have had to do was put the light bulbs in, but that didn't happen. Nobody had a thought about a night race when this was all built, and he's got a point. Mm. It's not often I, we agree with Bernie, but he's got a point here. You know, this track is not that old. Wow. Mark this day down in history. We did not declare that Bernie was an old man shouting at clouds. Two weeks in a row we agreed with Bernie. Two weeks in a row. I'm going to feel violently ill here shortly. I know. It's kind of scary. So from what, from one awkward dictator to another? (laughs) (laughs) Bernie to Putin? Is that the plan? That's where we're headed. (laughs) You know, we we miss this in, in, in watching the coverage I don't think the the audio was that great in the driver's room this week. You know, Vladimir Putin remains to be the only person outside of um, team leadership that makes an appearance in the driver's room post-race. Awkwardly. Yeah, it it is kind of awkward. Well, you know, he he goes and he congratulates the driver's post-race. I did happen to notice that Kimmy was um, animated for Kimmy in the driver's room talking to Putin. Wow. I don't know what the deal was there, but you They're know. They're probably drinking buddies. Well, that's possible. Although, you know, Putin's big question was about the facilities and whether or not everybody was getting treated well and, you know, is the caviar fresh and all that stuff. It wasn't about the race. He doesn't care about it because, you know, he didn't show up until like five laps before the end. All right. But, you know, there was. He that. had big, important government things to do until five laps before the end. Well, Riding le- on horseback. I was going to say, at least, he was, at least he was wearing a shirt. So there was that. <laughs> <laughs> so what was interesting was uh, Mr. Putin's comments to Nico Rosberg. What were they? Well, and, and his comments were via an interpreter. He was not speaking English or German or Austrian or whatever the other multitude of languages that Nico Ross. I think Nico speaks like six. Apparently, Russian's not one of them, though. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, via an interpreter, uh, Mr. Putin looked at Nico and said, um, do you like it here? Is everything all right? To which Nico re- replied, yeah, everything is good. It's a great track, and they've done a great job. F1 is growing in this country. Vladimir Putin, yes, exactly. Thanks to you. Nico, oh, we try. Putin, you and your colleagues, sincere thanks to you. Different segments, different sections of this sport have started to develop in Russia, and people take pleasure in watching you do your job, if you can call it a job. Nico, after some awkward laughter, you have some great Russian drivers as well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Yeah. So let's see. We could title that segment... Putin insults Rosberg. Rosberg insults an entire country. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, Mercedes. Mercedes. Another thing that we missed in just our oddball way that we watched coverage last, we probably would have saw it if we had made it through all of the Sky Sports coverage or the Channel 4 coverage, but it was a busy weekend last weekend. We did. We had a lot of things going on. We did not catch... um, 
Lewis's comments. We talked about um, Toto Wolf's comments. Mm-hmm. Possibly Toto's comments may have been in, re- in response to something that Lewis had said. What did Lewis say? He didn't think there was a conspiracy theory. Well, actually, he his comments post-race was along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing here, that he really didn't understand what was happening and what was going on with all these failures. But it did seem kind of odd that, you know, this year there was a mix-up in the garage. They, they, they shuffled some folks around. This was deliberately done so that there was not favoritism being shown to drivers. But there was a shuffle that happened in the garage, and some of the folks that had been on Nico's side of the garage came over to Lewis's side, and some of the folks who were on Lewis's side went over to Nico's side. And he didn't know why that had exactly happened, but, you know, that happened at the run-up to this season, and now this season he's having all of these issues. Now do you see where all of a sudden these conspiracy theories that Toto was talking about last week might have possibly come from? Well, and I all of these people it, that, that Toto I, was addressing? I can see where that might have come from, but I think that Lewis may perhaps have a point in that if he gets part of Lu- of Nico's garage and starts having similar kinds of issues that Nico had last year, maybe we need to find Bob the discount mechanic. But Nico didn't have those issues last year. He had a string of unreliability. Was he, that the year before they had all the unreliability? Yeah, that was the, the that was twenty um, fourteen. Okay. that he had those issues. All right. Well, I doubt that it's sabotage. I don't even think that Lewis thinks it's sabotage. I mean, well, the, we may the have problem the- is the way Lewis put that. Whether he thinks that or not. It's going to cause he, people to talk. You know, he's putting that bat signal out there to call all the crazies. Oh, he's been putting the bat signal out for a little bit because I just read an article on ESPN mm-hmm. um, that of got posted a few hours ago that he is not interested in racing Formula One if he can't win. Yeah, he actually said that earlier this week. ESPN finally caught up with it. Yeah. But he said it earlier this week. Well, okay, fine. But... <laughs> The concept is, and of course that I mean that 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 headline bleeds and leads. Yeah. But the concept basically is that Lewis says, "I'm here to win. I'm not here to participate, and I'm going to bring the fight where I can bring the fight." That's what he said. But it all gets couched in the way he says well, it that makes it sound like I'm going to pick up my toys and leave Formula One if I can't win. But actually, though, if if you read further into the original article not what ESPN finally picked up on four days later, is it wasn't even so much the, you know, I'm going to run into, it was the, I'm thinking about my future and at what point it's time for me to retire. And when I don't have the ability anymore, I'm not going to try and milk it out and slowly slide back into the grid driving for other teams. Is that a slam against Alonzo? I don't know. But but it was more along the lines of when I feel I don't have it anymore, I'm done. Well, and that makes and, good and that sense. was that was really what the gist of his comments were. There was a piece at the very end that it was not like school where you have a hard date that says you have yeah. to leave and that he's got to make plans for his future. And he's using he said very clearly that he was using this opportunity to explore all of the other options he had. So. Because, I mean, we have seen, just like in other sports, in Formula One, there have been times that players have remained, or drivers have remained, in the sport past their prime. 
some of them in their first year. It, well, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> anyway, back to the whole conspiracy thing. Okay. Mercedes released a letter this week to address the conspiracy theories. Dear it's, Tinfoil Hat Society. Something like that. Okay. But it was very detailed explaining um, what had happened to both cars. Okay. Not just Lewis's problems over the weekend that they had to change the gearbox. The MGUK problem that Nico had that almost that they were surprised he um, he was able to finish the race, but also the uh, water pressure issue that Lewis had. Now they've also clarified there were some comments that somebody made that they were watching Lewis's water pressure and were satisfied that things had actually stabilized. The reality is where apparently the the, the pressure had stabilized was zero. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> basically he had none okay yeah um the, the team in the letter described the fact that he finished as a quote miracle wow yeah so as it says in a in a letter with zero yes zero water pressure remaining for the last 16 laps the job he did the nurse to car to nurse the car home and still remain second place was truly remarkable. He had to keep the car as cool as possible to avoid damaging the engine while also keeping Kimmy at a safe distance, which was no mean feat. We genuinely aren't sure by what miracle the car limped across the line, but we're certainly not going to complain. Wow. The letter also paid tribute to the Mercedes team member and addressed suggestions from fans that there is a bias toward Rosberg this year. The fans you see at the track are only the tip of the iceberg, but they are the perfect example of just what this represents. They don't just, or excuse me, the faces you see at the track. Um, they don't just perform pit stops together. They travel, share rooms, eat meals, construct garages, build cars, rebuild broken cars, kit spares, and pack down tons of freight together. They sweat, strain, laugh, cry, shout, scream, celebrate, and commiserate together. We have the best guys and girls in the world during an, doing an awesome job, week in and week out. They do it f for the team, not for one driver or the other, but for each other. There is no A or B team here. Every single member of the crew has earned their right to be counted among the elite of their trade and have sacrificed much to do so. Wow. Now, later on in a week, Lewis came out and urged his fans to trust the team and has said that he ha he trusts the team and he thanks all the guys and feels that basically this talk of conspiracies that is going on is actually kind of a slam towards the team and he doesn't like it. So stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I want you to know how grateful I am for all of your support. I'd like to ask you that you please trust in my team as I do. This is my family. These guys have been the greatest, hardest-working people for me, and that is why I am now a three-time world champion. Please don't put any more thought into my team doing anything unjust towards me and understand that it would be in no one's best interest for that to be the case. We've had the best three years together, and whilst it's not going to plan right now, all will unfold in its own time. I trust these guys 1,000%, and my mechanics are incredible, the best in the business. I respect them, so please do the same. They're the guys that are going to make winning this championship possible. Yeah. What do you think that that conversation looked like when Toto pulled Lewis into a very small windowless room and said, What the hell's wrong with you? 
Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Actually, it might have been the hell's wrong. With, well, I, actually, I can't even do the Austrian accent. You I would have tried, but I can't. I can't. So I'm not going to. Good. I mean, I, I could replay him going. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> so, Total Wolf has come further out and said that. Um, Mercedes is actually the team's being forced into problems because of the threat from Ferrari because Ferrari is pushing closer and seems to be closer although it didn't really appear to be in in Russia they're pushing their cars harder and because they're pushing their cars harder they're pushing those boundaries and they're pushing those limits and as a result the reliability is getting shakier that actually makes some sense I was gonna say that makes sense So, so that's what he's saying the last thing we should mention because it was truly a heroic thing. And if you think about it, how this was pulled off. This is Russia. Russia that's not exactly known for easy customs and immigrations processes. Mm-hmm. Mercedes managed to get, in what, 12 hours time, a new fuel system shipped from Brackley to Russia and to Sochi. Correct. That from what I was reading, every single flight, unless you're like on a private jet, and this was a private jet, every single flight getting into Sochi to begin with from England is nine hours. Period. So Mercedes managed to get this fuel system in place and get it through quickly. The person who managed to make that happen, which I guess shouldn't be all a huge surprise, was Bernie Eccleston. Well, (laughs) I I am betting... That that's what call. happened, was that the team called Bernie and said, we need some help, we're chartering a plane, and apparently it was Nicky Lauda who handled getting a hold of the plane. It was his assistant who handled getting the flight plan and the airport set up so that the plane could get in, and then there was a call to Bernie to say, we're chartering a plane, we need to get this part in, we've got to do this so that we can keep Lewis from falling back further, but we've got to get the system cleared through customs as quickly as possible. And Toto Wolf says that Bernie made a phone call and he doesn't even want to know who Bernie called. (laughs) I'm going to throw it out there that Bernie called Putin or somebody who works very, 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 very closely to Putin, possibly his assistant, and said, this is what's going on, please help. Because the word was that the plane landed they took the box off the plane, put it into the car, and drove away. <laughs> and some Rustin co- customs officer stood there and made sure that happened. Pretty much. Bernie called Mrs. Putin. Is there even a Mrs. Putin? I don't even know. Well, if there's not a— We've w- never seen her. If it, there's not a wife Mrs. Putin, there is probably a mother Mrs. Putin. Oh, yeah, but th- that's possible. I am guessing that one of those two Mrs. Putins. Oh, I'm sorry. It was Patty Lowe's assistant that sorted out the airport. Um, would have easily picked up the phone and called Putin and said, Vlad? Yeah. The detail was that the plane landed with the box, and within 90 seconds, the box was in the car on the way from the airport. Yeah. You know, there are times in my life, and this last week happened to be one of them, where you just sit back 
you have that external view of what's going on and you go, I'm here and this is wild. You know, I have the power to do something or I'm doing something outside of what, wait, outside of what I would have ever imagined my world to look like. Um, And you got to wonder if Bernie ever has those moments that, Yes, I have no doubt in my mind that Bernie knew exactly the right person to pick up the phone and make the phone call and that that's what started the dominoes that allowed that to happen in such a beautiful way. But I get mesmerized when I sit in a room and watch Excel in Japanese go across the the, the front, um, the projection screen and go, this is my life. And this guy is talking to... Well, diplomats and making customs go away. I don't think Bernie thinks that at all. He's been in that rarefied air for too long, and it's just normal business for him. But what I think the way this you need to describe this is to quote Adam Savage of Mythbusters, who likes to talk about many times during this show as they've been about to do something like, oh, dangling a car from the top of a hundred and something foot crane that they're about to drop into a runway in Alameda as they look around and go, what the hell am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) And and describing them as what the hell am I doing moments? Yeah. Because it's that kind of a feeling. That's that's exactly (laughs) what I'm, I'm getting at. And you might be right. You might be right that Bernie has breathed that rare air for so long that he doesn't get the, what the hell am I doing moments anymore. But It's that I'm in a place that allows this to happen and I'm a part of it Mm -hmm. in some way. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. So we had more words from Bernie. Bernie was busy this week. You know, this was a week last year. What the fog was in. (laughs) Where I was going to go was, you know, last year. We'd get these gaps between races, and more often than not, we'd be looking at each other as we're getting ready to do the show prep and going, what in the world are we going to talk about this week? Because there's just nothing. And yet, it never slows us down. (laughs) This year, however... We thought, you know, we were gonna be we were gonna be so smart. We'd have IndyCar. We'd be able to talk about that, and we haven't been able to follow it. We haven't been able to watch it. We haven't been able to talk about it because there's just been so much going on in Formula One in these off weeks. Well, I think some of it has to do with the schedule. Last year we had a lot of races yeah. that were three week, three plus weeks apart, and when they built the schedule this year, we've had a race every other weekend. Yeah, pretty much. And I think that that really affects the ability to keep things tight as far as the communication goes. I also believe that people surrounding the media arm of Formula One started bending people's ears and explaining, hey, when you have a gap week, people still need stuff to talk about. Yeah. And I think that they, they're kind of working a little bit better or smarter towards that, too. Because again, last year we you know we lost races that caused long gaps. We had these weird gaps between races, and that's tough. So burning, burning. You know, last week we saw the debut of Red Bull's aero screen. Yes, and cockpit head protection has been a hot topic this year with the halo coming out, and now the aero screen. Well, Bernie had some comments. 
for starters, he said, we're going to, and you know, we had said the same thing. We're going to get a lot of pit stops now when they have to stop to clean the screen and things. That will be good. Um, asked if he liked the, the look of it or preferred the halo, he said, not particularly. I don't like any of them. Adding that the sport should do nothing with regard to cockpit protection. I just think to try to simulate something where you've got a stationary object and you're firing a tire at it, when in a race, when some wheel has come off normally, both cars would be moving. So how can you simulate it by having a car stationary? And how would you ever know what's going to happen with a wheel anyway? If it hits the thing, it would probably bounce off anyway, so I don't know. Now, quizzed about Lewis's suggestion that the danger was part of the appeal of the, the sport, um, Bernie's response, in his case, I don't know whether the money made any difference as well. We can make it more dangerous if he wants. Sir Jackie might have a thing or two to say about that. Yeah. Nikki would have a thing or two to say about that. There's a lot of drivers who would have something to say about that, including there was an interesting comment observation this past week about the the split between who's for the, the increased cockpit protection and who's against it. And the big thing was that it seemed to be, with the exception of Lewis, the drivers who have been in the sport longer seem to be for it and the younger drivers seem to be against it interesting yeah what we do know is that a decision for what will happen with this whether it's going to be a halo or the aero screen or nothing at all or push it back a year that's now set for july okay so we'll, we'll see what happens with that however race director charlie whiting has also had his own things to say about this he wants to add a bollard well, you know, Charlie's always one for adding more safety stuff, you know. Well, he says that the cars only need to look dangerous. So what <laughs> I'm thinking, Charlie, is to, to meet Charlie's mandate, we're going to fill the cockpit with, like, foam and padding, and there, there's going to be the full canopy hood. And then to make sure that it looks dangerous, there's going to be Nerf spikes all around the car. <laughs> They'll be painted silver, so they look like they're real metal, but they're going to be made out of Nerf foam. Oh, so we're going to move from Formula One to Thunderdome. So, but it, only it'll look like Thunderdome. It won't actually be Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be mild rain dome. Actually, it's not really Thunderdome, because Thunderdome was two guys fighting each other with swords and stuff. This would be more like Death Race 2000. That was the cars that they were trying to kill each other. It was a cheesy, crappy movie. I'm kind of stunned that you even know about that, but I only made it 30 minutes into it and said this sucked. But that that you know it, they look dangerous, but it's just plastic and foam bits. Okay, so which was Mad Max's? Was that Beyond Thunderdome that they were racing out? They they ran out in the cars into the desert and then they drove back. Well, they all right run out into the desert, but um, it was was it Mad Max? Mad Max was the first one before the world collapsed and they were driving around. It was the second one. That's the one you're thinking of. Okay. I'd have to go pull it up. I have no idea. Do you know I've never seen any of them? They're not that great. As much as people like to call them classics of cinematography, I, I didn't think they were that great. Okay. Remember, you can leave your comments on the Facebook page <laughs> or <laughs> for com. 
<laughs> Direct all your political complaints to Michael. <laughs> okay. Now, there was an agreement about the engines last week. Yes, we talked about that they had an agreement on the engines. Well, we've got details of what has been agreed to. It's very. That they're going to have one? Yes. Okay. But no, we, we've got some more info here. The essence of the agreement is that any team with, an, with no ongoing contract, so they don't have an ongoing contract, for the following season can join an FIA process, which will see it allocated a supply from the manufacturer that has the fewest number of teams on its books. Honda. Honda and right now Renault. Because technically Renault only has one team. Except that they're supplying Red Bull, even it's though a it's tag. A, it's even though it's branded as a tag, they supply a second team. But I don't think that counts because it, it's not supplied as a Renault engine. Okay. But anyway, then you would have three that tie at the one engine mark. You'd have a Honda, a Tag, and a Renault. Potentially, yes. Unless Tag turned around and said, "Yeah, we're, we're out of the sport after this year." I don't know. But anyway. If two max manufacturers supply only one team, for example, there would be a ballot to make the decision as to who would have to supply. Um, some of the other rules provisions is the provision that the team concerned has to agree to not criticize the manufacturer in public and vice versa. Ooh. One team principal has called this the Red Bull Clause. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> dropped the mic at that meeting. The clause reads, the new customer team and the power unit manufacturer shall not and will procure its affiliates and or their respective senior executives, employees, directors, and shareholders shall not take any action and or make an, any omission, deceptive, misleading, or disparaging or negative comments which directly injures, damages, or brings into disrepute the public reputation, goodwill, or favorable name or image of the other party to the supply agreement. In essence, a manufacturer will not be forced to supply a team whose shareholders or management have a dodgy pass on the basis that it would not be good PR. That's in addition to not being able to disparage a team. So I wonder if that's one of the reasons why Christian Horner has come out in praise of his tag warrior Renault is because they. it sounds that if they got themselves into a situation where they didn't have a, a contract – the assigned team to give them a engine could turn around and say, no, we're still not giving them an engine because they have a bad reputation on our PR. Well, there, there's more, there, there's more to this clause. More. This, this is, this makes it even more interesting. And then you can draw some lines from there with this clause. The new customer team and or any senior executives, directors, or beneficial shareholders of the new customer team shall not at any time, one, be listed or included in the official EU and or U.S. published sanctions list. Two, have been convicted of any indictable criminal offense. Three, have been convicted by any government or government agency in connection with fraud, money laundering, racketeering, or terrorism activities. And or four, have been declared bankrupt and or five, have committed any other identified action which, in a reasonable opinion of the power unit manufacturer, harms the reputation of such power unit manufacturer. 
This clause shall also reciprocally apply to the power unit manufacturer. That's the Vijay Malia clause. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So we have a Christian Horner clause and a Vijay Malia well, it's, clause. It's a Red Bull clause and a, and a Force India clause. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. We'll see where that goes. Um, Bernie, of course, has his own opinions on the deal. You know, this was just regards to supply. There are restrictions that are being made regarding uh, the amount of turbo power. We, we talked about the technical pieces. But what Bernie has said is that he's not really convinced that this is going to work. He says that he does not believe that there is going to be a convergence in performance. And if there is not a performance convergence, he intends to tear up this agreement and start all over again. Can you hear my eyes rolling? Yeah. Hey, speaking of Red Bull. Yes. Renault is pushing for a 2017 deal with Red Bull. Really? Because, did, you know. Did they get amnesia? Well, you know, that's some of it. Some of it is that, you know, Red Bull can't be left without an engine anymore. And some of it is now, you know, the engine's actually working. You've got Red Bulls up at the front. And obviously the engine is clearly working, even though the works team is doing terribly. Well, not actually, they're they not got, doing particularly well. Let's just leave it at that. They got points. They did get points. It was dumb luck that they got points. As much as I like Kevin Magnuson, I don't think he would have been there if it wasn't for the whole turn two incident that took out, what, four cars? Well, possibly. Um, do you think that this is also a reaction to the engine clause in the agreement and here's what i'm thinking if the manufacturer that supplies the least number of engines would be on tap to supply some team mm -hmm. that doesn't have an ongoing contract wouldn't it be in your best interest to not be that well i'm thinking this is, it's better to be able to control your own fate with that and your own pricing right yeah you know if you can consistently force the fact that the lowest number of teams supplied is not you you save yourself mm -hmm. from having to supply you know whoever yeah you know billy bob's f1 team yeah that's that's probably what's going on there or sauber but again they're also talking to each other well that's true so one last bit of bernie eccleston news you know how i said don't get your hopes up on a Vegas race. Uh, yeah. Bernie has come out and said now that they they are struggling with the plan to bring F1 to Vegas. They can't find any pins. I, it It's more related to where the race is going to be held. The truth of the matter is Bernie wants the, the race on the strip. Mm -hmm. he, he wants that visual so that you see that track and you instantly know they are in Vegas and the strip is the most recognizable piece of that city short of Fremont Street and they're not getting in a Fremont Street. Correct. So I guess there's some issues as to how they're going to pull that off or how they would pull that off. So now he says that they are struggling with the plan. Let's go back to I don't think it's going to happen. He 
thought he was gone. You thought you had heard the last of Pastor Maldonado. Oh. He's back. Uh, no, say it isn't so. The, he Not in an active racing role. Oh, okay. So at least there's <sighs> that. Um, he has been uh, signed by Pirelli to assist them with the testing for the 2017 tires. Um, he'll be running two days. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if they want a good test, they should definitely have Crashy McCrasherson do it. They, they put him in a GP2 car uh, for two days of testing at Mugello and in a single day in Barcelona, uh, both with early prototype compounds for 2017. Also assisting with testing, Jean-Eric Verne will be driving a 2014 spec Ferrari at Fiorano. That, well, he did this past week to assist uh, Pirelli with tire testing. Okay. They gave him a newer car as opposed to... Yeah, well, they gave Pastor the one that won't the cost as much to yeah. uh, replace. Here, this goes slower. Drive this. <laughs> so then there was the big news of the week. That would be the driver swap between the bull teams. <laughs> The bull teams. Would you rather the the sugar sugary beverage teams? <laughs> so when you texted me this, I was pretty stunned. Well, it was kind of stunning. I mean, why are you changing horses in the middle of the race? But I got to thinking about it. So okay. let's back up and you know, let there's a couple of pieces here. There's pieces. So put some context around this for us. Help help me understand. Okay. Well, what we know, and we knew that there was coming into this week that there were going to be talks between Helmut Marco and at the very least Red Bull with Daniel Kvyat over the instance of this weekend. Because let's face it, it was fine to hit Sebastian Vettel once, <laughs> but he did it twice. And he turned around and he, he screwed up ricardo's race and a bunch of other folks too i mean it was there was a bit much it, it was a, a really really bad weekend for him and daniel in i mean this is his second season in, in actually no it's his third season in f1 we've seen he gets off on these slow starts to begin with mm -hmm. but even still you think about it he got driver of the day in china and a podium his second podium of his career he gets Mm -hmm. So you'd think he should be doing pretty decent. I mean, everybody kind of came out on his side after um, the race in China, no matter what Seb had to say. But instead we get word that he's being sent down to Toro Rosso with Max Verstappen being brought up. So at first it seems really shocking. But without looking at any of the other pieces that's going on, you just look at the overall driver history at Toro Rosso. And it turns out this is like the third or the fourth time since Toro Rosso has been created that they've swapped out drivers partway through a season. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I was looking this up. I'll, I'll, Typically, drivers at Toro Rosso are only there for a year, maybe two years. A couple of times, they have swapped out drivers um, partway through the season, although from what I've seen, most of the time, that's not to promote a driver up to Red Bull. It's to make the driver go away. Mm. 
Um, John Eric Verne, John Eric Verne, I should say it's John, not John. John Eric Verne was, I guess, the driver who was who has driven for Toro Rosso longer than anybody else. He was with him for three years. Right, because he was driving the same time that Ricardo was driving with right. him and was the most likely one to get picked up to the Red Bull team, but his career ended when they passed him over for Ricardo. No, his career ended when they passed him over for Daniel Kvyat. Was it Kvyat? Because he, he drove side-by-side side with Kvyat before Kvyat was promoted because... Kvyat got Ricardo's seat when Ricardo got moved up? Correct. Okay. Just following the And then Kvyat got Vettel's seat when Vettel announced that he was leaving Ferrari, and they wasted no time on that promotion whatsoever. I mean, it was 12 hours, and he had the seat. Right. So, so there's that. It, this is not necessarily unprecedented for the Toro Rosso side. I think I, I'd have to go looking it up. I think Vettel may have also come up in a midseason swap as well, but I don't remember. So, anyway, there's that. Then there's also, as we knew, going into Russia, that tensions have been kind of high over in Toro Rosso. That Max and Carlos have not necessarily been getting along. And there was a, some theory going on that that was part of the reason why John Booth was brought in as a consultant, race director, whatever, was because he's been known to successfully guide teams through such situations in the past and to be able to manage those personalities. Mm -hmm. So there was that going on. But we also know that Max has said going into this season that he didn't see it likely that he was going to be doing a third season at Toro Rosso, period, the end. We knew Ferrari had been sniffing around. We knew Mercedes had been sniffing around. Well, that's what I came to. That was the point that mm -hmm. I had really come to as I started to process the whole pro the project was that this is a move less about Kvyat's successes or failures and more about tying Max up. Yep. Well, Max and technically has a contract through 2017 for whatever contracts mean in Formula One. Right. He does technically have a contract through 2017 within the Red Bull organization. Not that that means that somebody couldn't buy that contract out. Right. Which is what teams were hoping for. However, Max has now come out and said that with his promotion up to uh, Red Bull, he doesn't see any need to talk to these other teams. So at least for 2017, assuming that he continues to drive well, he doesn't plan to move. There's also been talk that this swap eases the tensions over at Toro Rosso, possibly because Carlos and uh, Daniel haven't driven alongside each other yet, mm -hmm. and there's been no indication of favoritism between the two yet. We shall see what happens. So one of the questions, since tires get chosen weeks upon weeks upon weeks out before a race now, who gets whose tires? Yeah. Well, what will end up happening is Max is stuck with the tires that were selected for Daniel's Red Bull, and <laughs> Daniel's stuck with the tires that were selected for Max's Toro Rosso. Oh, fantastic. That's, th th those tires are allocated, they're manufactured, they're set up and ready to go. This is where you are. So how many races out have those tires been chosen? 
if I remember correctly, we talked about this in December. I want to say it was like eight weeks. It's at least eight weeks out because we were hearing about the tire selections for Melbourne before the new year. Mm-hmm. So it's quite a ways out that those decisions are made. So they could be stuck this way for a couple of a couple of races. Yeah, they they are. I, I think possibly almost to the mid season break. <laughs> the other change that happened over at Toro Rosso, Max's race engineer, Zevi Pujolar. I don't know. I'm making a. I'm, I'm Zevi. Zevi. I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He's leaving the team as well. He is, and he's not going to Red Bull to go be Max's race engineer at Red Bull, I take it. He is not. From what I have heard, it is actually in response to a disagreement that, uh, or an argument that Zevi had with Franz Toast, who's the boss of the team, during the Russian Grand Prix weekend. Hmm. Yeah. Now, he released a tweet that said, uh, I did really enjoy and feel really proud of the work I did with Toro Rosso. Now time to get ready for the next challenge. Grazi Fanzia. Um, and Max tweeted back, we did a great job together, mate. You will come back stronger than ever. Interesting. Yeah. So this might not have been a voluntary departure? It doesn't sound that way. Yeah. Now, last week, we talked about Sauber. Mm-hmm. We talked about Monisha Kelton-Born's frustration with all the rumors at, at, at the potential financial weakness in her the financial state of her team. Correct. And I believe one of the things that she had specifically said was that they had the payroll issue sorted out. Yeah, it was all done. They thought everything was going to be good, that, that they were fine, they, they were back on decent footing, and are all set. And then we hear this week that Sauber Formula One team has failed to pay its staff salaries on time for the third successive month. Oh. <coughs> yeah. Sauber says that they hope a solution will be found to ensure all employees are paid. Um, now, even though they have missed their deadline to pay teams we do know that at the spanish grand prix they will be running the latest spec ferrari engine so at least they're getting new engines that that should help a little bit granted it really isn't helping oh the team in general because we've heard the complaints about the chassis and the cars are generally undrivable this year so mm-hmm. i don't know there's still personnel departing from the team so they, they, they're not looking that good. They've also come out and said that they will not be attending the post-Spanish Grand Prix two-day Formula One test later this month. Um, they said the decision had been taken because it will not introduce a car upgrade or update for the Spanish Grand Prix. Also, it does not have a young driver or a test driver available that fulfills the requirements. The regulations state that each team must allocate at least two of the four in-season test days for young driver training tests. So, yeah. 
Okay. <coughs> so her her issues are not solved as she originally stated. Not at all. We do know that she's been working to bring in more sponsors, but so far she has been un- unsuccessful. And, of course, as a result, that means that the team doesn't have the money to develop the car, let alone get developments to the track. How much longer do you think she's got to be a team principal? I don't know. I mean, I think that's a valid question. Now, we know that uh, head of track engineering Tim Malin left the team after just over three months on the job. Uh, We got that word in Russia, and this was the second high-profile departure for the team after technical director Mark Smith left just before the season started. Hmm. Now, while Sauber has has announced that they're not going to be attending the the test, the other teams have yet to announce what their driver lineups will be. And there will be a second in-season test in Silverstone on a Tuesday and Wednesday after the British Grand Prix. Okay. So, yeah, we'll see see what happens and whether or not Sauber makes it through the season, let alone whether or not the financial stylings of Vijay Malia allow Force India to make it through the season. I'm glad we have Haas. Yeah. Who got points yet again? Hey. Now if they could just figure out how to get both their drivers to Yeah, they gotta sort out Esteban, but I don't think that a lot of folks had a lot of high hope for Esteban. Mm -hmm. You know, Esteban is performing about where everybody thought Haas would perform. (laughs) So in that way, maybe he's meeting expectations. He probably is meeting expectations, but Roman exceeding expectations. There you go. So on that note. Yeah, you know, that's all we have for this week. Um, we've got, what, one more show and then we go on vacation? Uh, or do one, we have two? We have two. Two, in theory. Yes, in theory. We'll see what happens. Yeah. We're well, going to do our best. promises that we might not be able to keep. Um, but we have two. And then we go on our summer break, mm-hmm. and we come back in time for Formula One to go on theirs. No, I'm kidding. We've got a couple races before that happens. Um, we will, unfortunately, this year, and we are a little bummed. We will be traveling the weekend of Monaco. Yep. Normally, we travel during Montreal, but this year it's going to be Monaco. <laughs> We'll have more details on that trip and what's going on with that. And, you know, we're going to ask for some flexibility as we come into the summer um, between the events going on down at the Mid-Ohio Motorsports Park and some potential travel that we may have to do for our day jobs. Day jobs. We, We... may have to miss a few weekends we'll see what happens we're going to do our best to pull stuff off but we will keep you posted as we know more but uh until then remember you can always uh, leave us a comment over on the facebook page tell us what you think of the halo or the arrow screen or the new engine rules especially the red bull rule or anything else that's going on or bernie making sense this week yeah just about um and also check us out. Check out the, the page over at uh, www.theblokeandabird.com. But uh, on that, I think we'll cue Barbie. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone?
is, is, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? 